I hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it's closer now than it's ever been, and I can almost hear the trumpet as Gabriel sounds the call at the midnight cry. Good to be with you guys tonight. Certainly appreciate the opportunity. Anytime that I get the opportunity to preach the Word of God, I had every intention tonight of preaching to you my favorite text in the entire Bible. But uh, about three minutes ago, that all changed. So uh, I just want you to pray for me tonight as we open our Bibles to Second Chronicles 15, the very text that Pastor Wayne read to us, and uh, my congregation might fall out because I'm about to put on some glasses. I realized uh, the lighting in here was a little bit low when I read our text last night, so uh, I ran by Walmart on the way here and uh, grabbed me a set of readers, so um, uh, age is coming, right? All right. What I want to talk to you guys about tonight, and if I step away from the pulpit, I'll try to be loud. I've heard Dale likes the pulpit. And so they don't worry about a wireless. Well, if you ask my congregation, I never, ever stand behind the pulpit. Um, so, in fact, I usually stand right there down front. Um, so it'll be all right. We'll get through this. But the fact is, we look at our world, we look at our nation, the state in which it's in, another shooting every other day, um, Lord, um, tragedies galore. We look at other nations and we hear wars and rumors of wars. We look at the state of the Middle East in constant chaos, people killing, plundering, raping, murdering, and what we're seeing is simply the state of the world when it's left unto itself. I've heard men say that if our nation doesn't clean its act up, that God's going to send judgment on, on our nation. Well, they're half right. He already has. Because the fact is, in Romans chapter number 1, what happens when God pours out his judgment upon a nation as he turns a people over to their own sinful ways. And he gives them over to a debased mind to do within themselves things that are not proper. And as a result of that, the society begins to go down this slippery, slippery slope of immorality. And as you can see, we're well down that slope. 
The judgment of God has come upon this nation. And that I truly believe that the church is responsible. The church is responsible. I believe the pulpits are responsible. I believe that men of God for too long have been concerned with keeping people in their congregations and in their pews and keeping the offerings up that they have neglected the word of God in order to save face. And I want you to know when they have done that, they will stand one day before God and give an account for what they have done. But the fact is, is there hope for our generation? Is there hope for our nation? And the answer is absolutely yes. And that hope is found in a holy God. So you want to look at our text together? Let's stand together and look at 2 Chronicles chapter number 15. 2 Chronicles chapter number 15. We'll look at the first 15 verses here. 2 Chronicles chapter number 15 beginning in the first verse. The word of God says this. And the spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season, listen, Israel hath been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel... And sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. And great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And and the nation was being destroyed by nation and city of city. For God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong therefore and let not your hands be weak. For your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Obed the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities. And when he had taken from, um, from Mount Ephraim and was before the porch in the Lord, and he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers and with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, For they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when he saw that the Lord God was with him. We'll stop there. We'll go down to verse 15. But let's pray together. Not hear your word and walk away, not responding, deceiving our own hearts, 
walking away Father, I pray your power be upon them. This church, churches such as this, might be instruments, Lord, to go out and serve you your faithfulness at this time and at this day. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Look at your neighbor and tell him you love him. Love you, Brother Scott, by yourself. Scott, love you. Tabitha, love you. All right? You may be seated. I preached this text about three years ago, um, maybe a little shy of three years ago. But I want you to just see that our situation is not a lost cause. The burdens in this nation and the burdens of the church in the United States are not beyond healing. Is there no balm in Gilead? Yes, there is. And that balm is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that balm is the Word of God. And that balm is the Spirit of God working through the people of God to reach this nation. The answer for this hopeless generation is, of course, the Lord Himself. But first thing we have to do if we're going to try to address a problem is we have to understand what the problem is. You can't solve a problem unless you know that there is a problem. Right, husbands? Right? We've all come home. We're in trouble. We don't know what we're done. We start going back through the last conversations that we've had with our wife. We start thinking about things that we were supposed to do for our wife that we have not done for our spouse. And we start going through all these things and we're like, what is it that I need to address? And then usually it clicks. Uh-oh. Right? Well, what is the problem? What is the problem? Well, I would suggest to you that our problem is the exact same problem that we see here in the nation of Israel, specifically the northern or the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. Listen, it says, and the Spirit of God came. Let me put these back on. This is new to me. <laughs> and the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went down out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you. Listen, while you may be with him, and if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, I just want to kind of cover over these verses because what I really want to show you the problem in is in verses number 3, 4, 5, and 6, okay? But the problem is that's going on is a basis of the fact that the nation had stopped seeking God. There was no desire for God in their lives. And is it not true in our nation and in our churches that there's a problem with a desire for God? I think the answer, as Dale did last night, is to see the holiness of God. Because when we understand and we see the holiness of God, it drives us to a greater devotion and to a greater passion to serve our God. But the fact is, he tells Asa here that if you seek God, he will be found of you. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Now, how do you, how do you coincide that with the verse that says there's no one who seeks after God? Well... The fact of the matter is this, until one is truly a child of God, they don't seek God. But once someone is a child of God, they begin seeking after God. And what happens, I think, in our Christian walk is, for when we first get saved, we're excited, we're seeking the Lord, we're in the Bible, we want to know more, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then as we get older, our conversion gets further behind us, and we come to the place where we're not seeking after God as we have once done. 
And I believe the nation of Israel is a perfect example of that. Time and time again, they would rebel against God. They would forget the Lord. They would forget Him in their devotion. And then they would fall back into the patterns of idolatry and sinfulness. And yet a revival would come. The people would be restored. Their fellowship restored. Their nation restored. And then they would move forward and then fall back away again. Now... The fact is, he's not talking about salvation here when he makes the statement with the, with the Lord, about the Lord forsaking you. When he says, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. What he's saying is this. If you forget about God, don't expect God to bless you. If you forget about God's covenant, and it's a conditional covenant, you don't expect that covenant to be fulfilled. Now, we're under the covenant of grace, and praise God, that's a wonderful truth. But listen to this. Just because you're under the covenant of grace doesn't mean you won't reap the consequences of your sin. The Bible says, do not be fooled. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. What are we sowing in our churches? Have we forsaken the Lord? Have we given more attention to programs? And have we given more attention to people? And have we given more people to interest groups than we have to the word of God? Have we given more attention to the worship and to the music than we have to the pulpit? You know, in a lot of services today, the pulpit is the afterthought. It's the second thing. Now, worship is important. The music is important. But the pulpit is to be the supreme thing. Are we giving attention and have we forsaken the word of God in our own personal lives? You wonder why the church is in the state state it's in? Well, it primarily, I think, rests on the pulpit. But secondarily, it rests upon converted people forsaking the Lord. Not giving the Lord the time that he deserves. So let's look at verse 3 and let's dive into the problem a little deeper. Verse number three. Listen to what it says. It says, Now for a long season, Israel hath been without the true God, without the teaching priests, and without law. The problem in the nation of Israel was that for an extended, protracted period of time, they had been without, listen, the true God. You know, I think there's a lot of people in our churches who are without the true God. They've created a Jesus in their own mind, and he's not the God of Scripture. They've created a Jesus that says, I love you no matter what, and no matter how much, uh, how you live your life, you can be saved. That's not biblical, my friend. In fact, in 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 7, the Bible says if we walk in the light as we are in the light, that as he is in the light, rather, that his blood will cleanse us for all sins. But the, the statement there says, if we walk in the light. The fact is, if you're a converted individual, you will walk in the light. You will walk in obedience. You will obey the word of God. You will be that person on that narrow path of Matthew chapter number 7 and verse number 13 and 14. You will be the person on the narrow way going through the narrow gate because you have a God who reigns supreme in your life and you submit yourself unto Him. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. But they were without the true God. A lot of people's God is nothing more than a different versions of Santa Claus. I like the illustration Dale gave last night. We think God is this afterthought. Whenever there's a problem, whenever there's a burden, where do we go? We run to God. God, help me. Help me, God. But the fact of the matter is most people neglect personal devotion to God. They don't spend time with Him in prayer. They don't seek His face. And they don't include Him in any of their decision making. Especially churches. We make decisions based on what the numbers look like in the book. 
rather than based on what God's will is to further the gospel ministry in the congregation. The fact is that we in our personal lives do the same thing. We have no regard over what God says about our finances when we go out and we spend money on something that we do not need. We have no regard to the kingdom of God when we take and make decisions in our lives. And the problem is clear. We don't see him for who he is. But you saw him last night. I saw him. I sat there and wept during Dell's whole sermon. Because as I saw God, I saw myself. And as I saw myself, I saw my deficiency. And as I saw my deficiency, I wept over how a good God would love me. But their problem was they were uh, without a relationship with God. They did not truly know the true God. And if you're not believing in a Christ that demands your obedience, that demands your faithfulness, that demands your time, that demands even your life, then you're not worshiping the true Christ. What do you say? If a man loves his own life, he can't be my disciple. And so the problem was they were without the true God, but also they were without a teaching priest. A teaching priest. So much of what is preached in the pulpits today is either one of two things. A social gospel that says all you have to do is come and say some silly little prayer and you can go out and live your life however you want it and you can be a Christian. And the other thing is a prosperity gospel that says God will give you everything you want. That's what's being preached in pulpits. And even pulpits that do preach the word of God, many times preach it without passion, without feeling, and without any expectation on the behalf of the people to respond. And either way is wrong. The fact is, if you are a true teaching priest or a man of God, then what you're going to do is exhort the people with all long suffering. You're going to desire to see a change within your congregation. And the fact is that Israel had people who were fine, priests who were fine with just having church. They were fine with just gathering together on Saturdays. I know that sits weird on our southern palates, doesn't it? But they were fine just coming together into the synagogues and sitting down and hearing the scripture and hearing the law and walking out as though they hadn't heard anything. Do we not do the same thing every week? You go into the church, and I believe you people have godly pastors because I know your pastors. You hear the word of God, the commandments of God. You hear what he desires for your life. You hear the call of his conviction, and you walk away as though it doesn't matter. You go home so you can get to your football game, or you try to beat the Methodist to the buffet. It's not funny. What happened to the days? I've heard so many stories about the good old days. And people just always talk in churches about how it used to be. You ever think that the reason it's not the way it used to be is because the people used to seek God more than you? You ever think that the reason it's not the way it used to be is because you're wanting someone else to do something so you can sit on your royal behind? There was no teaching priest in Israel. A true man of God will point out the deficiency. And they will show the people their error and in their ways. But because of these priests that tickled the ears of the people in Israel. They were going about doing what they wanted to, worshiping their fake God, and thought they were fine. 
And as we see in a moment, they weren't fine. But also they were without, or they had a disregard for the word of God. For the word of God. They were without the teaching priests and without the law. That's a simple way of saying the word of God. That's all they had really then was the law. Okay. Don't expect to live a godly life if you have a disregard for the scripture. Don't expect to have a godly marriage if you're not spending time in the scripture. Don't expect to raise godly children unless you're washing them in the water of the scripture. Don't expect to have a godly church unless you and everyone else within that congregation are being continually transformed by the renewing of your mind, which comes from the very word of God. We're going to understand the problem. We must realize this is a spiritual problem. Problem, or without the true God, in many places without teaching priests, and we have a disregard for the Word of God. But also, I want you to notice that the problem is not that only. Look at verse number four, if you would. Verse number four, listen to what it says. But when they in their trouble did turn to the Lord God of Israel, they sought him and he was found of them. So here's the thing. The problem is a spiritual problem. And if you've got a spiritual problem, where's your answer going to be found? In a spiritual solution. Your answer will be found in God. Because the fact is, we're going to see later on here in the, in the text that God is the one who was sending the adversity upon the people. He's trying to wake them up. He's trying to get them to see the importance of the task. But what we do is we sit around and we wait on others to do it. And as a result, churches dwindle and people are wondering why everything is the way that it is. A spiritual problem requires spiritual answers. We need to turn to God and seek God. Some of you, your idea of seeking God is sitting down and watching Charles Stanley. Nothing wrong with Charles Stanley. When was the last time you sat down and opened up the Bible and asked God to speak to you? When was the last time you said, God, I can't make it if I don't hear from you. I'm not going to live another moment without hearing you. I told my church sometime back there was a period of about like two months and I just felt distant from God and I had not felt his spirit in a way that I had felt it in a long time and I was really grieved. And every day I would sit in my office and I would say, God, I need to experience you. God, I need to see you. God, I need your spirit. I was reading my Bible. I was spending time in prayer, but I was just distant. And then through the silence one day, as I was praying, God said, you're looking at another man's ministry and you're coveting after it because it's bigger than yours. And I got happy. You say, what do you mean you got happy? Do you not know that him who he loves, he chastens and scourges every son? And if you were without chastening, you're bastards, as the King James says. You're illegitimate, not sons. And in that moment, I said, he's still there. You're desiring that in your life. You seek after your God. Or are you satisfied to say, I'm a member of such and such church? Have you ever experienced him to begin with? 
His transforming power. I was going to tell you tonight, before this, the Lord changed me up, I was going to tell you tonight exactly what God does when He converts a soul. And let me tell you, it's a magnificent thing because God takes a massive depravity, a wicked heart, changes that heart, actually removes that heart, gives you a brand new heart where before you were hardened to the things of God, could care less about God, to now you desire God. And not only that, you desire to obey Him. And He puts within you His Spirit that empowers you to live for Him. But some of you have no clue if you're honest with yourself, what it means to have the Spirit of God living inside of you. I am not ignorant enough to think, although I believe every person in here is probably a faithful, good church member, I am not ignorant enough to believe that you're all converted. I lived 12 years of my life believing I was saved. Many of those years I was faithful. Tell you a story I heard one time. I need to move on. Good night. We're just getting started. There was this pastor, and he was, or he was a, like an evangelist, and he was sitting down with a group of of college theologians, very staunch kind of guys, and they were sitting at a table in a restaurant, and and the waiter comes up, and he was this guy, you know, the type he had like fifty bracelets on his wrist, you know, and and some weird. Colorful, quirky t-shirt. His hair was dyed blue. And he comes over to the table and he noticed the evangelist Bible. And he says, hey man, you've got a Bible. That's awesome. He's like, yeah, yeah, I do have a Bible. And he said, you know what, man? He said, I got a Bible too. Do you? Yeah. Really? Well, tell me about it. He said, well, the fact is I was seeking and I was seeking and I was looking for truth. And, 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 and you know what? I found it. He said, I could see the wheels of those theologians turning. This man wasn't seeking after God. He wasn't truly seeking after God. No man seeks after God. He said, but I found him. He saved me. He said, you know what? I stopped living with my girlfriend. And I stopped doing drugs. And now I'm living for God. And he walked off. That evangelist turned to those theologians. And he looked at him. He said, it's better to have it and not know what to call it than to know what to call it and not have it. The fact is, you either know that you know, or you don't know and you're lost. The Bible says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if you don't know that you're a child of God, don't you dare walk out this door if the Spirit of God deals with you tonight without making that right. I got kind of off track there. All right, so it demands spiritual answers. Of course, we could all quote Second Chronicles seven fourteen. But if my people will humble myself themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, God is going to heal their land. Obviously, but not only is it a spiritual problem that demands spiritual answers, there's spiritual consequences to those problems. Spiritual consequences. Notice what God does here. Beginning in verse number 5. Listen, it says, And in those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was bestowed by nation and city of city. For, listen, God 
did vex them with all adversity. The fact is, I don't think God's going to send more people to some of our churches until our people get right. The fact is that God was sending a reproach upon the nation of Israel because of their hardness of heart towards the word of God, because of their idolatry, because of their their lack of a teaching priest and their disregard for the word of God. God was sending judgment upon them and God wasn't going to bless that nation. He wasn't going to bless his people until his people did what they're supposed to do. You want to see the church turn around in our country? His people need to do what they're supposed to do. We need to realize that there are spiritual consequences to spiritual problems. And God is the one who sends them. God is the one who sends them. I want you to notice, if you would, with me, a passage in Deuteronomy chapter number 28. Deuteronomy chapter number 28. Deuteronomy chapter number 28, and we'll look at verses 15 through 20. Listen to what the text says. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shall thou be in the city, and cursed shall thou be in the field. Cursed shall thou be... Thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of the land. And the incense of increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shall be thou when thou comest in and when thou comest out and when thou goest out. And the Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke. And all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do. Perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings. Whereby thou hast forsaken me. God set up a covenant with Israel. This is the covenant of law that we're looking at here. or The Mosaic covenant. And in that covenant God says if you don't observe my laws and do what I'm telling you to do. This is what's going to happen to you. Do you realize that what I just read to you is the exact same thing that's happening in 2 Chronicles chapter number 15. They had spiritual consequences. So. What are the spiritual consequences we're facing today? Well, we're facing the spiritual consequences of people in the church being more interested in talking about one another than talking about God. We're facing the spiritual consequences of people in the church being more interested in their golf game than they are in going out and telling someone about Jesus. We're facing the spiritual consequences of people more worried about their retirement accounts than they are worried about giving to the church of God. We're facing the consequences in the church today of a people who literally does not love God yet with all their heart profess that they do. Spiritual consequences. We look at our nation, we see high suicide, mass shootings, fornication being not only socially acceptable, but joked about and praised in television shows. Profanity is used as though it's just another adjective, and I should know that's how I was before God saved me. Homosexuality, not only to be tolerated now, but 
Anyone who doesn't tolerate it is to be untolerated. Drunkenness, socially acceptable, laughed about, joked about. Marijuana, being high, something that people are seeking to legalize and normalize. But if you're a person of God, why would you want any of those things? If you're a child of God, listen, I used to smoke pot every day of my life. For years. I don't want that. You know why? Because I got a better high. Amen? I got Jesus. What happened to be sober-minded? What happened to desiring after God? What has happened? The church and the secular are all are seeming separate as with those in the church. We people in the church they say, "All right, I'm a good Christian. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to be good in church." But then they conduct their lives as though they've never heard the word of God. There is no secular and sacred for the Christian. There's only the sacred. There's only our relationship with God and seeking to bring glory to His name in everything that we do. And we wonder why we're in the state that we're in. It's because we're reaping the spiritual consequences of wicked, loose living. And we are continuing to sin that grace may abound. I want you to notice that we also need to understand the solution. I think I've beat up on you enough. We need to understand the solution. Listen, I'm talking to me too. Let's understand the solution. Verse 7. Be ye strong therefore and let not your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. How many of you are like me? Whenever you sin, you go into a spiritual timeout for a few days. We're in church now. I'm not going to pray. I can't pray. I can't do my Bible study after I said that to her. I can't open my Bible and read it after I did that, after I watched that, or after I listened to that. Whatever it is. How many of you do that? Let's be honest. Yeah. I think you need to understand something about your justification. And this has helped me greatly. When Christ died for your sins... And you repented and believed unto salvation. We all know and understand that we were justified. That means that our standing before God is as though we had never sinned. We're just in the eyes of God. But God doesn't just see us as we are justified. He treats us as though we were justified. So when the Christian falters, we need to be as the child that falls and scrapes his knees after doing something mommy and daddy told them not to. We need to run to our father, not away from him. We need to realize he is the answer for our problem. We don't need to go to spiritual timeout. We need to go to the father and listen, if you're his child, he's going to embrace you. And not only that, he's going to clean you up. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. First John chapter number 1 verse 9. So we need to understand the solution. It's first faithful devo- devotion. Devotion. Verse 7. It said there that do not let your hands be weak. For your work shall be rewarded. We don't need to give up 
Because the church has faltered a little bit. We don't need to throw in the towel because our walk with the Lord is shallow. We need to get to it seeking our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And in doing so, we'll find a strength that's not our own. The answer is faithful devotion. It's the same thing that Joshua charged the people at the end of his life. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether you're the God of your fathers or the God of the Amorites. And he goes on to say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that truly what's going on in here for you? As for me and my life. In my family, we're going to be giving them to God. Everybody else can chase after the things of the world and, and, and treat their children as kings and queens and let them run their household. But I'm going to have a godly household with a husband who leads and with a wife who submits biblically under her husband. And we come together and we both submit under Christ and we seek to raise up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that we can glorify our God. Stop looking at the world. Look at your God. Look at his word. Be faithfully devoted unto him. You wonder why you have trouble with your children. It's because you're not raising them the way God has said. You wonder why you have trouble in your marriage. It's because you're not living out your marriage as God has prescribed. You wonder why you have trouble in your church. We're not running them like the Bible says to. What happened to church discipline? What happened to people being held accountable to the scriptures? What happened to people desiring to hear the word of God rather than choosing preachers who they know are just going to tickle their ears? We need faithful devotion. We also need a forsaking of sin. A forsaking of sin. Look if you would with me in verse 8. And listen, if y'all get tired, you can leave. Listen, verse 8. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecies of Obed, the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of all the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim. And he renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. They realized that there was a spiritual problem that needed spiritual solutions. And so what did Asa do? Did Asa put together a committee for the revitalization of the nation of Israel? No, Asa as king commanded that the idols be taken down. That the false altars be broken down. And he renewed the altar of the Lord. He rebuilt the altar of the Lord. And he showed that he was willing to forsake not only his sins, but the sins of the nation. Are you willing to forsake not only your sins, but the sins of our churches? Are you willing to come forward and say tonight, I'm going to seek after my God. I'm not going to allow myself to be created and molded by the culture. 
I'm going to allow myself to be completely malleable to the scriptures. And when the pastor preaches on something that hits on me, I'm going to obey the word of the Lord. Is that what you're willing to do tonight? I hope that you are. There needs to be a forsaking of sin. A forsaking of sin. You know, I truly believe that the reason we see all these faithful men of God through the years, these heroes of ours, the Spurgeons, the Wesleys, all of those great men throughout history, Adrian Rogers, Charles Stanley, all these men that you admire, I believe that every one of those men behind them was a lifestyle of continued repentance, continued forsaking of sins. When you get saved, you don't repent and then just that's it. In fact, if you are saved, you will repent. You'll continuously repent of your sin because you don't want anything between you and your father. It's just like my wife. You know, I've got, I've got a kidney stone floating around in here somewhere. And the other week, I was very, very short with her because I was hurting. You know what I did? I apologized. I asked for forgiveness. You know why? Because I care about our relationship. And yet we walk around with sin in our life. And you know what we're saying? I don't care how much I hurt you, Lord. I don't care how much I hurt you. There has to be a forsaking of sin. Verse number 9. Listen. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Sinion. Uh, and from and for they fell to him, listen, out of Israel in abundance when they saw the Lord his God was with him. Now, the reason I think that we used to see great revivals, we don't see them now, is because when people look at the church, they don't see that the Lord God is with us. They don't see faithful people seeking after their God with all their heart. And instead, they see people who profess with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. They see people who claim to love God, yet in their actions, in their speech, in their giving, in their time, they show that the opposite is true. But there has to be that forsaking of sins. Notice what happened. They saw the Lord was with Him. It says people begin to fall to Him. They just come over. We want to be with you. You just knew they had been with God. And you wanted to be with them. Because you said, this person's got something and I don't know what it is, but I, I like it. I want it. If we get serious about forsaking our sin within the congregation and truly serious about having faithful devotion to our God. Let me tell you something. There would be people wanting to know. What's different about this? And so they'd come just to see a freak show. You know the Bible calls you a peculiar people. They'd come see what's going on over there at that church. What's going on over there? And you know what would happen? The pastor would stand up. And he would proclaim the word of God. And the Holy Spirit of God would begin to draw that individual. That individual would repent of their sin. 
God would take from within them the heart of stone, place within them a heart of flesh, place a new spirit within them, and then you'd have another weirdo. Don't expect it. Not unless you're willing to forsake your sin. Be devoted to your God. And be who he called you to be. We love Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith. Praise God for that. Not as works lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Verse 9. What happened if we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? Verse 10. There needs to be a forsaking of sin and then a firm resolve. Verse 10. Listen. Verse 10. It says, And they offered unto the Lord at the same time of the spoil which they had brought 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. I want you to notice what happened. They repent. They get rid of the idols. And all of a sudden people from everywhere are coming. And they've got a spoil. You realize there was no battle. There was no fight. The spoil came as a result of their forsaking their sin. Being devoted to their God. And getting rid of their false God. And seeking after him. And so now there's this abundance. So guess what? He said let's give it to the Lord. Let's give it to the Lord. Verse 10 again. Oh that was verse 11. And they offered to the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought. 700 oxen. And 7,000 sheep. Verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. Not only is the solution faithful devotion, a forsaking of sin, but it is a firm resolve. A firm resolve. Notice what it said there yet again. It says, and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord of God of their fathers with all of their heart and with all of their soul. It gets better. That whosoever would not seek the Lord of God of Israel should be put to death. I'm not saying that. I'll explain that. It doesn't apply to us today in that context, okay? Whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. Now, I am not advocating that you take out the people in your church that will not commit to serve the Lord and you shoot them. All right? No. Don't do that. This was a different environment. This is a different dispensation, okay? It's a different time. God was dealing with his own special people, the nation of Israel. But, you see how firm their resolve was, don't you? You see how firm their resolve was. They said, listen, if you're not willing to seek God, then we don't want no part of you. You know what the Bible says about a person who is called in sin in the congregation? They've been went to one-on-one. They've been went to with a group. And then they've been brought before the congregation. They still not will not repent. You know what the Bible says? Put them out from among you and treat them as an infidel. 
treat him as an unbeliever. Not popular. Biblical. Not popular. Do you have a firm resolve? Are you willing to submit yourself to God's plan? God's way? Or are you going to keep on with your own plan and your own way? One thing I learned, if you don't make steps to change, don't expect a different result. Sanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. The solution is a faithful devotion, forsaken of sin, and a firm resolve. And lastly, everybody said, wow, nobody said it. We need to understand the results. Let's look at the results. Verse 15. And all Judea rejoiced at the oath. They're happy about it. They're happy that if they don't follow the Lord, if they don't devote themselves to the Lord, that they're going to be taken out and killed. See the resolve? They rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their, uh, with all their desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. You know what the result is? The result is simply this. We begin to seek after God. We begin to forsake our sin. We begin to become fully devoted unto God. And what will happen is this. The Holy Spirit of God will take over our lives. And we will be doing the work of the ministry. And reaching the lost. And glorifying our God. And it will be like we are on cruise control. Because His Spirit will be the one doing it through us. Listen, it says they sought him, listen, with all of their heart, with all their desire. And he was found to them. And it says, and the Lord gave them rest. What do you mean? Well, remember how it was when we started, don't you? They were striving. No rest, no peace to the one who went out, the one who came in. City destroyed by city, nation by nation. Turmoil everywhere they looked. But then, they got a firm resolve. They forsook their sin. They got fully devoted to their God. And everything changed. Everything changed. Three things about that. First of all, there was, they had the, the result is the fulfillment of being in God's will. I don't know about you, but there's never a more miserable place than being outside of the will of God. And there's never a more joyful place than being in the will of God. They rejoiced at the oath, it says in the text. Also, they had the fullness of that relationship with God. The fullness of that relationship with God. They sought him with all their heart. Not only that, they found him. And so now they've got this intimate fellowship with God. And so they've got joy in their life. And they've got peace. Despite anything that they faced. Despite any hardship. Even if they were in chains, they would be alright. They had the fulfillment of a relationship with God. And then they had finally the facilitation of, the God's, of God's blessing. Or the Father's blessing. So, is there hope for this seemingly hopeless generation? Well, there is. But do you care enough to seek it? Do you care enough to seek it? Do you care enough to humble yourself before all of these people? To come down to this altar 
and to say, Lord, I'm choosing who I'm going to serve. I'm choosing how I'm going to raise my family. I'm choosing how I'm going to spend my money. I'm choosing how I'm going to listen and obey to your word, obey your word. I'm choosing this day who I am served. I'm going to be faithfully devoted. I'm going to forsake the sin in my life. And I am going to have a resolve that cannot be broken. That's you. I want you to come tonight when the invitation is given. But. The fact is, you will never have a faithful devotion, a firm resolve, or forsake your sin until the Spirit of God draws you unto salvation. You're here tonight, and the Spirit doesn't bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. You're here tonight, and you couldn't answer 2 Corinthians 13.5, which says this, Examine yourself that you may know you are in the faith. Know you not the Lord Jesus is in you, lest you be disqualified. If you don't know that Christ is in you, come tonight. Maybe tonight God's spoken to you. He said, you're not my child. But I want you to come. Maybe tonight he said, you need to go. You need to repent. You need to embrace me. Let me tell you something. He'll save you. He'll save you. Would you stand with me tonight? Listen, church. Just one thing to say, Amen. It's one thing to nod your head, but now's when the rubber meets the road. God's spoken to you tonight. You're ready to commit. I invite you to move as our musicians come forward. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.